host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Kevin Woodley. Kevin, what's going on, man? That's a good question, actually. What is going on? Actually, like, I feel like we're through the meat of the offseason. Oh, yeah. And yet, I'm coming off, like, what frankly is, like, like, pure joy work week for the goalie geek in me like spent time uh doing an interview with connor ingram spent time doing video with connor hellebuck and then yesterday spent an hour doing video with matt murray uh, and we had phoenix copley on both for the podcast and video work and it's like this is this is my wheelhouse i feel like it's time to unwind and yet i'm all fired up and ready to go on the goaltending stuff well generally when i have you on i like to enter these conversations with no restrictions i want to give us a clean slate i generally have a, a, a rough framework like four or five topics i'd like to steer us towards but i know that we're going to go off the rails so I, I try not to inhibit us too much the one note i had was no connor hellebuck no john gibson and no buffalo sabers because i feel like we've talked about those three for a variety of reasons every single time you've been on over the past like six months now, listen, you did tell me about your conversation with Hellebuck, and I do find that interesting, and I think our listeners would enjoy it. So maybe we can talk about that. Just well, also, I want to plug the heck out of uh, yes. the fact we've got literally Connor Hellebuck, Vesna, three of the last six years, Vesna finalist and Vesna trophy winner, um, basically doing a video session with us, breaking down video and walking us through his save selections. And it ties into our conversation. As much as I agree with you, we have sort of beat this horse pretty good. Yeah. Um, because we talked in the past about you know, sort of strengths and relative weaknesses. Again, not actual weaknesses. You don't get to that elite status if you've got, but relative to the strengths. And man, doing video with him, and you, you've heard me talk about it, you know, just to update those that never heard it before, like the best goalie in the league, best goalie in the world in straight lines. Mm-hmm. You get come at him in straight lines and nobody is better. And I now have a better understanding why. When you listen to him talk about the different cues that he picks up from an anticipation standpoint, and the way he reads the game and the way he processes the game. I had Eric Comrie tell me, like, a couple of years ago, you need to get Helly on pro reads. He would be unbelievable. And he lived up to the billing. Like, the little details, hand position, stick position, elbow position, hips, like, that that he sees in skaters to anticipate shots. The way in our first pro reads we just published this week, he talked about baiting. Okay. Right. Like lost art of sort of showing a shooter one side because now I feel like I've like, for example, this was glove side. I feel like I've got glove side fully covered. I'm giving him a little extra room to sort of bait him mm-hmm. to shoot blocker side because I've got that leg loaded for a push and kind of a lost art. Right. Yep. It requires an ability to read the game at another level. So sort of seeing statistically his dominance in certain situations and like I said, straight line attacks, even even if it's an odd man rush, if that, that puck holder is coming at you yep. and he's read that he doesn't have to worry about pass, like nobody's better. And now I have a glimpse into why and it was like mushroom clouds going off in my head as he was breaking this down. It was really exceptional. And we can't wait to share the rest of it at Ingle. So you, that makes me think that a lot of it is, I mean, we talk about sort of shot selection versus save selection a lot, right? And it seems like there's such an art and I guess the science to it, but in terms of like setting that up and that kind of cat and mouse game between shooter and goalie. Uh, we also talk though about like kind of how goalies, this next generation is sort of like becoming a bit cookie cutter-ish in a way, right? Where like, it's almost like you want to play a certain way, everyone's doing it. And then now as as skaters, especially young forwards are like watching YouTube and, and seeing everything that all these younger stars in the NHL are doing, they're trying to emulate it and they're coming into the league with all these new tricks that goalies are almost unprepared for in a way and I think that's part of why we're seeing the spike in, in scoring I guess you want to keep the door open for a little bit of freelancing and I'm sure that comes up as well right like if you feel like you need to sort of pull something out last minute and it can't necessarily always be like I'm going to do one specific thing but I feel like especially for a hellebuck who's been around for this long and has had success doing so I'm sure he would prefer that sort of like rhythmic like one two three step of how he wants each play to, to turn out well but I mean the ability to set things up so that they do turn yeah. like basically He's trying to steer it in that direction to like yeah. pull him into what you want to see and i think your perfect world is when you can tie that into a defense that understands the same thing like hey this guy's exceptional at this yeah let's take away that and just let him focus on the things that he is otherworldly at and you know i think i've said it a lot on this show with you and, and on some of my other hits uh at sportsnet you know 
if you can't skate, you can't play in today's game as a goaltender. If you can't move, you can't play. Yep. And that's where we see some of the limitations of these really big guys that can't move. I would also add that if you can't read the game, if you can't process it at a very high level, I'm not sure you can play, or at least your ceiling is going to be a lot lower. Um, and it, to be honest, like, you know, not to pat us on the back at angle too hard here, but um, it's, you know, last hit of the summer, so shameless plugs from start to finish. But that's what Pro Reads is all about. We see these goalies going to the same goalie schools. And listen, like, not every coach is the same. There are exceptional coaches right. in every country. But there's that tendency in the summertime to, you know, become a quote-unquote goalie school goalie. I hate the phrase, but if you're in that sort of like six goalies at a station rotating through the drills and you're just doing things where you know the puck is going from A to B to C, uh, there's no read, there's no variation, you can get caught in sort of becoming a quote-unquote goalie school goalie. And the ability to, as Mitch Korn would say, connect the patterns of the game you know, that's, that's, that's a skill that needs to be developed. And that's why we do this, why we, and I, like, I can't thank these guys enough. Linus Allmark, Thatcher Demko, Connor Hellebuck. You know, like I mentioned the three that we had this week, willing to sit down and share someone's insights. So these young goalies can watch it and be like, cause you're right. I would say it's not just a whole next generation of, of forwards that are learning this, but they're being led now, much like goaltenders were led by goalie coaches at an elite level. They're being led by elite level skill development coaches, many of whom, some of whom, some of the best, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Belfry is a former goaltender at some level. Well, he tries to deny it, but yeah. Actually understand the position and are looking for what we're doing as goalies so that as soon as they see that sign, they know, you know, how to exploit it. So it, it is a fascinating game of cat and mouse. Uh, it's one that I don't think will ever end. And getting to sort of get in the goalies' heads and see how they perceive it is really fun. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can take away from it, not just in terms of, hey, in goal, trying to help the next generation of kids learn, you know, but frankly, if we apply them to, you know, some of the decisions that are made or how to get the most out of a goalie tying systems to strikes. All right. So we've already broken my first rule here. Started off with Connor Hellebuck, although at least we avoided the Hellebuck to Devils conversation, which I feel well, like this that was, that was more wide more region. For sure. For sure. So I just watched... Um, the new Mission Impossible in theaters recently, and we've got tickets Sunday night, so don't spoil. Phenomenal. It. Well, no, it starts off with this. I was going to say it starts off with like a set piece, right? And then it's like a cold open, and then you get like the Mission Impossible intro music, and 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 then and then you go into the movie, right? This is like that. We start off with this cold open. Now I'm going to set us up and get us back on track. Uh, it's a beautiful Friday afternoon. It's our last show of the season. I've got you here in studio. We're going to have some fun. The plan for today is I want to talk a bit about the goalie carousel and a bit kind of. Uh, just getting a feel for where we're at right now with goaltending after all of the free agency movement. And it feels like there's still a few moving parts and goalies that'll probably switch teams over the next couple of weeks and months. But for the most part, it feels like things are kind of taking shape. Yeah. And I think some of the trends that we've seen, and, and I think um, paying attention to the teams that have bucked it or can't afford to partake mm -hmm. in is probably worth noting as we get closer and closer to the season, but it's all about depth. Yes. Right? Like, and not just in terms, and we talked about going into free agency, how some of the most important signings will not be the ones that make the headlines. They will be the three and fours on your depth chart because that can be the difference between getting into the playoffs and not, especially if your one doesn't make it through a season. And that's a trend that's increasing around the league. But I mean, like, how many goalies does Pittsburgh have right now? Like, they re up Jari. Yep. DeSmith's still there. They go and they get Alex Nedeljkovic, who's been a number one in the National Hockey League before. And they add Magnus Helbert, mm. who is an attractive enough commodity as a goaltender that he bounced around the league all over the place and still had some of the best pads ever in multiple locations. Yeah. You know, like, there's a guy that other teams see something in, and he's one of four in Pittsburgh right now. Like, depth matters in this position right now. So pay attention to the teams that established it and, you know, maybe cast a side glance at some of the teams that, you know, maybe have ignored it a little bit. Well, and that was going to be my first topic here, so this is a good segue into that. It's teams embracing or, I guess, trying to incorporate more of a three-goalie system as opposed to just the pure, like, initially it was the workhorse starter and then the goalie, the backup you'd sprinkle in. Then now we're getting into more tandems and kind of work shares between the two, and I think the next logical step is even potentially having a third viable one beyond just kind of like a placeholder that's in the minors for you. And Pittsburgh, you mentioned, is a great example. I'd say even LA, right? They had Copley who you mentioned earlier, they bring in Cam Talbot on a one-year deal, and then they also bring in a Dave Riddick as well on kind of a one-year flyer. Um, you know, Carolina brought back both Ranta and Reddy and have Kachetkov, obviously, there in place for the next four years. 
and then Detroit as well, I'd say, right? They had Billy Huso, they bring in James Reimer, they bring in Alex Lyon. And I think this is something you're going to see. I mean, it's kind of a, for a team that has, I guess, the cast space or the wiggle room from a, a just a pure numbers roster perspective to do so. But I think we're going to see more and more teams steering in this direction. Well, not just cap space. Yeah. There's a second part to this equation that you have to have. You have to have an owner willing to eat a one-way in the minor league. Right. And that's, we've seen this, you know, like, not, it's not intended to cast aspersions, but we've seen it locally here in Vancouver where, um, you know, I think the potential that Spencer Martin could be a one-way in the minor leagues already if Artur Silovs earns the job creates a hesitancy to have another goalie on a one-way contract in the minor leagues. And that's one of those teams that I look at and, like, everything goes great. They're fine. But if injuries creep up, you kind of look a little sideways glance and you're like, man, could you have grabbed, I'm not going to say David Riddich is the guy, but could you, could you have found somebody like that that has NHL experience yeah. that could have given you that alternative and that option in case of emergency break glass? We got a guy. We don't need to, to go get him. And a lot of people will say, well, hey, like the teams are three and four, like Helberg needs to clear waivers. And clearly that was an issue last mm-hmm. year. But if you're going out and claiming a guy like that, it's got to be with the intention of putting him in the National Hockey League. Now, that said, there are still teams that could end up doing that, right? Like, they could decide, like, hey, you know, I'll use Vancouver's example just because we're familiar with it, I'm familiar with it, without having to really research the depth chart. If Artur stubs his toe in the preseason, not that I expect that, frankly, I don't at all, um, and there's questions about Spencer Martin or there's some uncertainty um, then they could go just grab a guy off waivers and pluck him in as their backup and have those two running in Abbotsford. And then obviously Zach Sacek goes in the mix and, and Tolapila. But again, I think you need, and we're seeing this around the league, you absolutely got to have three you think can play. And I think in a perfect world, you've given yourself the security of four. Look no further than the Stanley Cup champion. Well, and the Hurricanes are a fascinating example from that perspective because I thought they'd be very comfortable. Like, I'm pretty high on Kachekov and everything I've seen from him so far, and, and I'd be... There's a ton of skill there, him. but there is a lot of variation. There is, the but also if there's a defensive environment where, like, you or I could probably look okay, it's 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 that one, right? Which and, might make me worry a little more even so about the inconsistency mm-hmm. um, statistically. Right. It may just be a matter of time, because that's not always an easy environment. We've talked about this before. Not every goalie is comfortable not being busy. And then right. all of a sudden, you know, you haven't seen a puck for five minutes and it's an odd man rush because you've had possession for so long. When you did give something up, it's it's got some quality to it. There's a mental part to that that can be difficult to overcome. And Kochetkov, despite having incredible tools, unquestionable, there's been some real peaks and valleys in his when he's up, you know, game-to-game performance that may, again, You've got time. Use it. You can put him in the minors without him having to clear waivers, if I'm not mistaken. That makes this an easy decision, Frank. Well, he is waivers exempt. They don't have a minor league team at the moment. Uh, So I'm kind of curious to see what happens there where he actually is assigned. I would assume all three of these guys, just like last year, probably play somewhere between 25 and 30-ish games, Uh, whether it's because injury, because Antti Ranta and Freddie Anderson, unfortunately, at this point, have shown that they probably will get hurt at some point if they're playing that much. Um, But he is on a $2 million salary, regardless of where he's playing. And so that is, that is a, an interesting thing to consider moving forward in terms of. Yeah, caps, because again, $2 million costs you cap space, right? Like is the, guy, the guys that you're seeing signed for a million and less that just cost you that one-way contract don't cost you, cost you cap space. But, you know, again, like the need for three. And I forgot actually that they don't have Chicago as their designated mm-hmm. affiliate anymore. And that's, that's another can of worms. Because if you're going to have Kachetkov in the minors, it's to play. And if you don't have a spot where you know the team on the other end agrees that it's in, you know, his best interest to play, that becomes problematic because now he's sitting. Well, an idea I've been workshopping along these lines of the importance of having that third goalie is we typically tend to fixate on pure workload in terms of just game raw games played for a goalie in terms of trying to sort of quantify how much they're playing, the fatigue, and then the potential sort of deterioration of performance or efficiency based on that as you get into that certain ballpark of like over 50 games approaching 60 or more uh, which is becoming more and more of a rare occurrence in the NHL what I've been thinking about though is, is I feel like almost sequencing of these games is just as if not more important and not even well beyond the what we know of back-to-backs right where if it, generally that can be problematic if you're having to play in the second leg again you haven't had the time for your body to recover 
you might not be as good. I'm, I'm sure there's obviously examples where goalies like that second game of a, of a back-to-back. A lot of them play better in the second game. It's not the second game. It's the one two nights later if you're planning to roll them out three and four where you start to see diminishing returns and potential injury. Well, that's the thing. And, and so this is where the luxury of having that third goalie you actually feel comfortable with is so important because what I'm thinking is if you're giving your starter the night off, I don't even want to see him sitting on the bench with a ball cap and keeping his glove out in case there's a puck flying in, into the bench. I don't want him there. And maybe he shouldn't even be in the press box wearing a suit. Guess what? Stay home. Take the night off. Oh, if you actually want to... Welcome to my dark side. This is like... If you actually want to give this goalie a mental recharge and a night off and an ability to properly recover between games, I don't understand why you're keeping the door open for potentially having to insert them whether their own backup gets injured or gives up four goals in the first period. It just seems like so counterintuitive to me. And a lot of these teams, because of the way things are run, don't have the ability to do so or the luxury. And then you get into the e-bug conversation. But all of a sudden, if you actually have the capability of a third goalie around, I feel like that could potentially be a very sort of market inefficiency uh, hidden benefit to uncover. Part two of that, extend that conversation. Because I feel like you've gone through like some of my past articles. I feel like once or twice a year at the NHL.com Unmasked, I've got to hit hard the idea of a three-goalie system, not just in terms of playing, but frankly, in terms of practice. Mm. Like, let's extend that through. Okay. Um, a lot of practice time is not only not beneficial to goaltenders right into the NHL, right up to the highest level, it's actually detrimental, or it can be detrimental. You see it if you've covered a practice, all these drills where it's just rush after rush, no gaps between reps, guys winding up, like, the amount of times in an NHL practice I will see a fourth liner wind up from like inside the top of the circles, unchecked, head down, pick a spot wherever he wants. Like he's not getting that shot in a season. <laughs> but sometimes, and it's gotten better, but sometimes that guy will have five or six of those in a practice. Yep. And so we know the goalie specialized practice that they do before and after. So why waste energy reps, butterfly drops, internal rotation on the hips, all the wear and tear that comes with it? on parts of practice that aren't good for the goaltender. I've advocated for a practice goalie for a long time. Now, one of the catches there from both NHL shooters and NHL coaches is they all want to be shooting on NHL guys. So the idea, as some teams do, you know, Carolina's uh, got their equipment manager, uh, uh, Jorg Alves, who comes out and does it. Um, They used to call him Little Wardo because he he wore a bond and looked just like Cam Ward. Uh, A little shorter, though. He can play, too. But these guys want NHL goalies, right? So they get a little pissy, frankly, um, when it's not an NHL goalie in there. And there's like, I think Washington, it's uh, their video coach, although he may have moved up in title, who uh, goes out and does it for them, right? Again, give your number one some of those reps that are useless to him. Doesn't mean he skips all the practice. You have to be a part of the team. But give him some of those reps off to save him for other things. Now, having a third goalie that's actually NHL caliber eliminates the complaint from both coaches and players that, hey, my guys want to shoot on an NHL goaltender. And I get it. Listen, like, you want me, to, you, you want to make your shooters feel confident, but have practice be absolutely useless to them in terms of what they're going to face in a game? Put Kevin Woodley in that, right? It'd be a hell of a time for in goal. I'd love it. It'd be great. Uh, local goalie coach here says it'll never happen. But I understand, like, if you got a plug like me in there, why nobody, like, why guys would be pissy. But if we can introduce and get into the rotation where we've actually got a guy, you know, we see teams that have nearby affiliates sometimes do this on a practice day. So I see all kinds of benefit um, to it. But again, maybe we'll see this when the cap opens up. Obviously tough to do when the cap's as tight as it is right now. Well, one of the teams we brought up there as an example of this was the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? Bringing in not only the third goalie, but potentially even a fourth that you'd feel at least okay with if you had to in a pinch throw them in an NHL game and I wonder how much of that is informed by Kyle Dubas's own experiences in Toronto recently where he lost to how much of it is potentially what even happened to Pittsburgh recently right where their reliance on Tristan Jari and then him getting hurt and then having only Casey the Smith basically and if he falters well tough luck kind of guided them towards this. So they recognize they need a three, but you might lose your three on waiver, so let's grab a four. Well, insurance policy. I don't know what the logic was there, but then that also, I guess if you're going to go this way, though, my argument would be, okay, you're almost kind of acknowledging, and and, and apologies in advance to the goalie union and, and yourself as well. You're a real hard-carrying member, not the uh, replaceability of goalies or like just, but just the fact that 
if you're not that sold on your number one, maybe you can kind of get a similar performance from others. But that kind of what goes against that in this case is that Pittsburgh did invest very heavily in their number one interest in Jerry. And I guess that's a good segue for us to talk maybe a little bit about that. And we can talk about Jonas Corposalo as well if you want. I know we've spoken about him in the past, but those were the two goalie contracts that obviously stuck out around July 1st, just purely based on term, right? Because both guys got the five years, which is becoming a pretty rare occurrence for, for NHL goalie contracts. Well, the other, okay, so there's there's a couple parts here. The other, to me, the contract that jumped out was Sorokin. 8 by 8.25 by 8, right? Because I didn't think we were going to see, like, I, this was this was the discussion. I thought, and I and I miscalculated this, but I always thought Igor Shesterkin's contract was going to be the next, hey, are we going to have another guy broach those Vasilevsky ranges? Or, you know, just like we saw when Markstrom was the prime free agent, like 6 million, like yeah. just 6, right? Like, look at the other contracts, Demko, 5 times 5. Like, that had become the new standard for guys with really high-end upside. And so I wasn't sure... Like, to me, the Sorokin contract bodes very well for the Winnipeg Jets. Because if you're a team acquiring him, and we've all heard the reports, and I don't know if they're true or not. Frankly, when I get Connor on a call like that, I'm not nagging him with annoying media questions. Right. We're going straight to the goalie geek. Um, but we've heard the reports about wanting that nine and a half sort of Vasilevsky range if, you, if you're going to extend him. And again, I think there are a lot of people that are like, I don't think goalies are going to make that much anymore. Well, Ilya Sorokin now does. And Hellebuck's in that sort of rarefied air so it becomes like if you're the Jets trying to sell on him if that indeed is still the case the idea I think for another team not every team's going to embrace that philosophy but the fact we've seen other goalies command this like it's you know the the rising tide floating all boats like Shesterkin's number is now going to be at least eight maybe nine next time so it's not unreasonable to expect that Hellebuck's going to be it means there might be fewer teams that are wanting to commit that but there are at least some now so that that one was fascinating to me Jari and Corpusalo are different mm. because Jari, they know strengths and weaknesses. I think they're betting much like he has said that last year was injury related and that it was a fixable, solvable problem that they don't see as being chronic or, or, or likely to repeat itself. So they've got, and they, so they know his strengths. They know how he fits in the room, how he fits in the group, how he fits in the system. And he's had success in the past. You could argue to what level and whether it warrants that paycheck. Um, but he's had a lot of success there in the past. Corpus Allo's the interesting one because now you're projecting. Now you're like, yes, is what he did in other places going to transfer? And let's not forget, I liked him for L.A. We we did the show going on the trade deadline. I'm like, this is the guy I would target. And he had a lot of success there until he ran into sort of the Edmonton Oilers. And they have the capability of doing that to a lot of teams and a lot of goalies. But the defensive environment in Los Angeles is apples and oranges compared to what's going on in Ottawa in terms of how much exposure their goal it faces. Now, there's a skill set there. There's athleticism that says he doesn't need to just be behind a strict, structured defensive system, but every goalie's going to be better. And if so, if you're paying him on the results of Los Angeles in half a year, I don't think you can expect them to repeat on a raw save percentage basis in Ottawa, where the environment's going to be that much tougher, unless they can take steps to tighten that up. Well, I think when the terms came out on July 1st, as we were all scrambling to try and get our Twitter Twitter feeds working and, and refreshing it and trying to figure out what was going on, you know, once you see that five-year term, I think there's there's kind of an audible like shock. And then once you look at it a bit more, the $4 million AAV and just the structure of the contract makes it much more palatable to me. Now, obviously, it depends on your mileage of... of whether you think Corpus Allo was the goalie who had like a, what, 895 save percentage for five years previously to last year, or whether he was, he doesn't even need to be the goalie he was last year specifically. He needs to be the goalie even before he gets to LA from, even in Columbus, like, because these were the signs yeah. that I saw that said teams should go get him. Once he sort of got through the comfort level of hips that work, right. and I think that's a part of what happened the previous five years, the hip surgery, and then getting through sort of, I think I, think I had it like December 7th, like his numbers from December 7th until he was traded behind a Columbus team that also struggled, yep. um, were exceptional. So I think to me that if I'm looking at that, it becomes a, a safer bet because it wasn't just L.A. There was success there. But again, that's you know what we're talking, two periods that are less than a season versus the five previous. I still think the surgery and everything that's happened is, you know since then, to me, makes it a safer bet. I look at the numbers, though, and I'm like, again, if you're projecting L.A. numbers in Ottawa, 
you know, I look at high danger chances against, and there's Los Angeles ranked first, and there's the Ottawa Senators ranked 22nd. Mm-hmm. So Corpy's workload there is going to be not only more difficult, but but like in terms of busyness, but the degree of difficulty will be significantly more than it was in Los Angeles. Yeah, I just don't think the downside is that bad because I, th- I believe that $4 million makes him like the 23rd or 24th highest paid goalie next season, which is a bar that I think he could probably clear. I, I don't think that's that outlandish to suggest. Even the health apps, like, listen, yeah. like, you, like, I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate here, but like, I've been a big corpy. Yeah, I love a lot of the skill set, the patience on edges, doesn't go down too early. Like, there are things he does when you look at all sort of the multiple skills that make up an NHL goaltender and that balance. There are things he does that I think lend themselves towards this new NHL and this dynamic NHL uh, really, really nicely. And I struggled, frankly, to understand why he wasn't able to find consistent results in Columbus. And I think we got some of our answers when he talked openly about just how limiting physically the hips were. Well, it must be frustrating for the Senators and their fans, right? It's almost like you, you feel like you're kind of chasing your own tail with this position where you trade Philip Gustafson and obviously different circumstances because it's an entirely different defensive environment that he played in. But he posts these Vesna caliber numbers on a per-game basis. I could argue that if he had played 15, 20 more games, he might have won it a little or obviously had a phenomenal season in his own right. But then that happens. You get him for Cam Talbot, who struggles and is gone after a year. They, I think they wound up using seven different goalies last year. They were 24th in team save percentage. Like All of it's incredibly frustrating. So I'm not necessarily sure that Corpusalo is the solution in terms of providing stability and actually kind of righting those wrongs. But that's sort of the argument, I guess, for it. What did you say? 24th in team save percentage yeah. in just a few minutes? Yeah, 20 seconds. They were 22nd in yeah. the amount of high danger, sort of what the expected goals were based on high danger. So... Maybe it wasn't all goaltending. Like, yes, that sounds like it's slightly underperformed, but not the to, to the degree that I think most people would blame it on the goaltending itself. Being 22nd in that category is not a good thing. No. Okay, Kevin, let's uh, take our break here. And then when we come back, we'll pick the conversation back up. You're listening to the Hockey PDO guest streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Missing the Canucks? Subscribe to the Canucks Central podcast and get alerts for breaking news episodes. Daily shows return in September. All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Kevin Woodley. Kevin, uh, I've got a, a, so much while I have you here. I just want to get into everything, and I'll only have you 50, 50 minutes at a time. Okay, so like you said we are going to keep this on the rail. Yeah. And I, I think we've got a pretty good I got a certification in a week. Yeah. I need to be able to work on getting on my rails here a little bit. Okay. So you go. I'll try and keep it in control. Okay. Let's. So we've talked about teams that have sort of gone with the depth and and having a safety net approach, right? And then you also sort of mentioned the the alternative of that of teams that have kind of pushed all of their chips into the middle of the table with one stud goalie. And I would I would include the Rangers and the Lightning as an example of that, right? Which is Sturkin and Vasilevsky. And then not really having a safety net for what they've chosen to do with their backups. And in both cases, it's because of financial limitations, right? Just how much they've committed to other parts of their team. They have to settle for the absolute bare minimum. Okay, so refresh my... Actually, I'm... Totally brain cat. Like I'm. Do I do Tampa Bay first, or, well, or actually, I, you're gonna have to tell me. Okay. The backup is Jonas Johansson, who a Buffalo Sabers beat reporter once described as the worst goalie they had ever seen in the yeah, NHL. Yeah, I'm not sure that description aged well because he did have, you know, success. Like I've seen glimpses of success with. Ah, well, he had a couple good games with the Abs, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that he has uh, rebounded or, or or changed views and. The reason why I bring that up is Tampa Bay, right? They they had what they had that run with McElhaney. Then they brought in Brian Elliott the past couple of years. Now this, it's like when you're paying Andre Vasilevsky $9.5 million the way they have, and he's worth every penny of that, and he's an absolute freak and, and really just an exception and outlier in every way at the position. You have to just, you're they're essentially punting the backup goalie position, right? You're like, all right, we're going to spend 700 to 800 k on this position. This guy's going to play... 15 to 20 games for us. I guess why that's interesting for me is because Tampa Bay's margin for error as a team, as we saw last year, is starting to shrink, right? As their depth and talent on the roster up front and on the blue line erodes. And Vasilevsky himself is now, what, 28 years old. He's played so many games over the past handful of years during all of these long runs where he's playing 20, 25 playoff games each spring. And as he gets to He's not there yet. He's still a phenomenal goalie, but as he gets older and with more mileage on him, 
I don't think you necessarily want to be putting 60 to 65 regular season games on his odometer, especially after, you know, he struggled in that round one series against the Leafs. We talked a lot about kind of things they were doing to potentially identify some of his weaknesses. And in his availability after that series, he actually, and he's been quite open about this throughout his career. I, I remember when he took over for Ben Bishop in his first year as a starter, he was like, listen, I played too much this season. Like my, I could feel my performance dropping. I need to get better at pacing myself, maybe play a little less. And he was very like frank with the media about that. And he once again echoed those same sentiments after this past season. And so if you're hearing that and then you're going, all right, we don't really have another option. And we need all of these points because our team isn't as good as they've been previously. All of a sudden, you're kind of playing with fire if you're the Lightning. Yeah, it's a delicate balance. I do wonder, you know, this is the one thing I'll say, like, as much time as I spend and try and spend with NHL goalies and, and watching them and stuff, it, it does limit me a little bit in terms of watching prospects and stuff. So I don't know who's coming for them, like where Hugo Almafelt, for example, right. is in terms of being an option. And, you know, I know their goalie coach, Frangine, really well. And, and you know, I'm willing to bet if they're making this bet, they think they have other options. Now, that may also be, we talked about this, right? Like, like there are going to be, because of the quality and the experience names that have signed one way but low number one way tickets to be three or a four on other teams there's gonna be a, like this is a year where Tampa could look at it and be like you know what this hasn't been a great preseason for Jonas Johansson we're not as convinced now as we were when we signed him we'll, and I'm not saying it's gonna happen but like if, if that happened you're gonna have options you're gonna have options in terms of grabbing a guy off the waiver wire but you're right um it's a tough needle to thread. Right? I wish they took Alex Lyon instead of him being uh, Detroit's third goalie for pretty much the same price. I wonder yeah. if he just thought that he might have a better path towards actually playing games at some point. Possible. I mean, it's a bit of a, to be honest, it's a bit of a head scratcher there, right? Like, or why not just keep going? Brian Elliott gave them good minutes mm-hmm. last year, right? So, um, yeah, you know, I actually wish I'd, I wish I'd had, uh, I wish I'd seen this one come and had a chance to reach out because knowing the organization, knowing the goalie staff, They've probably got a plan. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe it is Jonas Johansson. Maybe they see something that others have seen because he's been claimed off waivers by other teams before. And you, you mentioned only, t- I think, two games in Colorado last year, yep. but adjusted numbers off the charts in those two games. As you move around to different organizations like he has, um, you pick up things, you develop, you sort of add tools to the toolkit. And all it takes is sometimes, uh, we've seen it with guys, they go to a different organization, they look like a totally different goaltender. Maybe Tampa sees something they can hone in on. Maybe he's found something that he's honed in on. Because like I said, when he was up with Colorado last year in those two games, like I think his numbers were like plus 3.4% on the adjusted save, which would, would again, Vezna Trophy if it's not just two games. <laughs> yes. Uh, I got to unpack that a little further. You mentioned there kind of in passing that a team like the Lightning would have a plan or in terms of like identifying something and then and then actually having logic behind it beyond just being like, well, this guy's sure, let's just bring him in, right? We've, we've spoken about this a little bit in the past, and there's only so much that, that we obviously are privy to, and every organization is going to be different, but I'm so fascinated by this idea of kind of that, like, chain of command and just, like, relay of information within an organization as it relates to identifying a goalie, especially in this case, a backup where you have a specific vision for he's not going to compete with Vasilevsky for starts. It's purely a matter of having him for 15 to 25 games in the absolute high end and trying to get the most out of those where you're not just giving away free points throughout the season. I think I think we mentioned like the Oilers before the Jack Campbell contract is maybe an example of what not to do in terms of consulting with your goalie coaches and, and doing that. Or your analytics team or maybe arming your analytics team at least with the info. Like that one, I, I take one look at clear side analytics and I don't do that deal. Yeah. I, again, it's not a criticism. It's just the success in Toronto relative to the quality of chances grades out in the 30s. And so, again, a lot of it was team-influenced. I'm not paying five times five for something grids out in the 30s. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. I've, I'm i so... I, now, maybe we can save this for, like, next season or something. Let me give you a name for Tampa Bay. Right. Okay. Because we're talking about, like, guys who... Because one of the things in Tampa Bay is the challenge here... It, it's not easy to play every two weeks. Mm. Even if you want to give Vasilevsky more time off and it becomes every 10 days. There are a lot of goalies... They can be, and some of them were on the market this summer. I think some of them might even still be on the market. Um, is that where did Alex Daylock sign? I have had trouble keeping up. I don't. I think the is he still a UFA? Oh, yeah, I believe Alex Daylock. If you need him for two weeks, he's great. 
if you need him every second week, the way he plays relies a little more on rhythm and timing. You don't quite, hey, a lot of goalies, you're not going to get the same every two weeks as you do if right. you need him for two straight weeks. It's tough to find guys that can play every two weeks and in case of injury or wanting to rest a guy, give you two great weeks. There is still a name who has kind of proven he can do this for years and years and years with it, with different teams who is still a UFA. Mm. And that is Yaroslav Halak. And so I don't know what he's looking at financially. What it, I think he's trying water. to get the 300 wins. 100%. So that's, that's a pretty good spot in New York, for him. People in New York were telling me, like, oh, we've heard he might not play. I'm like, that guy is not retiring five <laughs> short of 300. You have to wheel him out there. Yeah, I can tell you right now, like, that is a very big goal for his. Yeah. And sincerely, it's a huge milestone for mm-hmm. goaltenders. And it's one he's had his eye on for a couple of years. And if you look at the last couple of stops, even here in Vancouver, um, where they were just a tire fire defensively, after an adjustment period for the first couple of months, and this played itself out in New York as well last year with the Rangers, he was really good, and his adjusted numbers were off the charts. He got fed a lot. He got fed a lot of bad starts in Vancouver or tough starts in Vancouver behind a bad team. Remember that one in Colorado where he went in and single-handedly won it. Like he won seven straight games for the Rangers at one point last year playing backup minutes, but he's also a guy who, as long as you don't overdo it, can slide into a role where he plays a lot more, and that's where his strength has really been. I'm shocked that he hasn't signed somewhere right now, to be honest with you. Like, And frankly, I think this might have been a mistake by the Rangers. His numbers after December 1st last year, like plus 1.8 adjusted save percentage, which is like top 15 in the national hockey league. Like, not just like he's in the upper class playing sporadically. He, you know, the fact he was through that adjustment period and would have just slid right in and been comfortable behind that team, like that one's got me scratching my head. As much as I understand the concept of Jonathan Quick there, I think they had a pretty good thing in Yaroslav Halak. Now, he's hey, he's, he's a guy who's played a lot, and yeah. he's set in his ways on some things, and you know, I don't know if he rubbed a goalie coach the wrong way there or not. I, I really honestly don't know, but that one surprised me a little bit because it was seemed like such a good fit. And I look at Tampa Bay, and depending, again, cap's an issue, depending on what he wants financially and what they can afford to offer, man, like talk about, you know, killing two birds with one stone, he gets to 300 easy. Yeah. And I think they could get a really reliable backup. Well, the thing that makes it trickier for the Rangers is I believe just in the past two years played 53 and 58 games or so. So it's not even like, I guess he could conceivably play 65 games if they need him next year, if they're, if they really are desperate, but it's not like the second season, but I, I don't, we haven't seen it yet, so whenever you get into that scenario, it makes me a bit cautious of just penciling them in or expecting that. And with the Devils being such a buzzsaw, with the Hurricanes in that division, I don't think the Rangers can necessarily afford to say, well, we're just going to get 890 save percentage from from whatever, whenever Zesterkin's not playing for 25 games this season. Like I, I don't think they can put themselves in that position. And it's one year, he was perfectly fine the year before, but obviously Quick's numbers in LA were... were catastrophically bad and then i thought when he went to vegas to my eye he did not look much better he looked like he was he, swimming he out there created out a little more close to expected right but, but still it was like 10 games. he went from oh yeah bottom of the league in terms of relative to expected but those are both very friendly defensive environments yes. now well, that's the thing the rangers haven't been but let's be honest you look at peter laviolette like yeah the bump you get from hiring peter laviolette yeah, tighten the screws is typically on the defensive end especially in the first two years the challenge is always does it sustain plus in the past two years? Yeah. Yeah, so I think they'll be better. But once again, you're comp- already talking about two teams last year for quick that were amongst the best uh, defensively in the world. Well, and at the end of the day, I've had a lot of this from Rangers sort of fans and and the other... And I, listen, I I hope it works. I like the idea of John. I like what they're trying to do with Jonathan Quick. Um, I heard a lot of good things about his role model sort of influence in Vegas. And not that I think Igor Shosturkin as a, you know, should be perennial... Vesna candidate needs it, but you never know. There can be little things that that he takes away that even take him to another stratosphere or help him manage the expectations that seem to sort of slow him down and tense him up at the start of last year. Like there's a lot of value to having Jonathan Quick's experience. Um but and Benoit is a magician as a goalie coach. But Sean Burke in Vegas preaches from the exact same choir book as as Benoit Lair is a really good goalie coach. And at the end of the day, he went with Lorraine Bressois. And Aiden Hill, and I think if he was healthy, probably would have gone with Logan Thompson ahead of Jonathan Quick, even though Quick won a bunch of games for them. Mm. There's a, there's just there's some elements of his play that, again, I look at it and I'm like, man, like I don't know if this is a fit for what 
Benny Allaire likes to do. And I'm fascinated to see how it plays out because I do see the benefits and I think it could still work out really well. But when I look at the math, it doesn't check out. It's not a as, positive light, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's just, frankly, again, you, had su- you, you would have had more of a, a sort of proven, known, less questions commodity, at least on the ice, playing the games, the results he produced in Yarrow Halak that, you know, were way above expected. You know, like I said, in that top tier compared to a guy who, even after he turned things around, still graded out just below. Okay, let's let's switch gears here. There's two more topics that I have to get in with you here before we sign off for the summer. One is I want to talk a little bit about Ilya Samsonov. Now, we don't know his status yet because he's still uh, unsigned as an RFA, I guess. Arbitration eligible. So, which is good for the Leafs because I think that that's going to open a second buyout window for them, which I think they will use on clearing up $4 million by buying out Mamory because... It doesn't seem like this would be a take. Where it might not be good for the, where it might not be good for the Leafs is well, he has a pretty good case. Yes, yeah. And again, it's kind of funny because what I just talked about with with Campbell, like Sam Sonoff was fine. He was good. Actually, he was he was he was more above expected than Jack was his two years yeah. there. But again, that is a really good defensive environment that props up goaltenders to levels that you know where I think the comparables might not actually be um, you know, what I would consider accurate. Well, here's the thing. So he played 42 games last year in the regular season, right? 919 save percentage. Uh, Sporologic had him at 5.1 goal save above expected, which is still good. Evolving Hockey, as a public model, had him at plus 21.2. And I think we've spoken about this in the past, about how I think public models probably underrate the way the Leafs, kind of like the Hurricanes, defend. Because what they place an emphasis on from their coaching staff and, and front office down is sort of strategically limiting time and space to get shots off for opposing teams particularly like they give up stuff off the rush but particularly off of these in zone settings where they're trying to contest as much as they can rather than allowing you to actually step into shots and pick your target and that helps their goalies quite a bit now listen they got him last year at 1.8 million for one year and it was a wonderful flyer for them he's 26 years old uh he'll be 27 midway through next year and i assume they're going to go with him and and Joseph Wall as as their tandem. I did want to talk about him with you just because he did exceed my expectations. I remember we did a show at this exact time last year, right? And it was right when um, Washington decided to do a wholesale change in net. They got rid of him and Vanacek. They chose not to qualify Samsono for just a $2 million qualifying offer. They brought in Kemper and Lindgren instead. Toronto brought in Murray and Samsono, let Campbell go. And we had a cold conversation about this, and I listened back to it in preparation for this. And we were, I, I can only speak for myself, I was i was critical of him, or skeptical, I guess, because I knew that Washington was, had become sort of disenchanted with him and just frustrated in terms of like preparation and kind of what they were getting. And, and you, could, you could certainly see all the physical tools, right? And there's a reason why he was such a top prospect before he was drafted where he was. He's shown potential, but they, it just wasn't adding up. And he was clearly better, and everything you hear is that he was phenomenal both on and off the ice in Toronto, right? And so, I don't know how to quantify that. I mean, well, I think think if we go back to that conversation, I remember saying something along the lines, as much as the physical gifts, there are also some physical limitations that I don't see the same upside as Shesterkin or Sorokin, who he was widely compared to. The other part was, it took him until halfway through the season prior with Washington to finally sort of be like, yeah, I got to do things different. Mm. And I saw signs once he was willing to of improvements that led me to believe they could continue it. They would get a very motivated goaltender in Toronto. And frankly, I would say motivation might not be the right word, but he just didn't, he wasn't always willing to make changes. Yeah. I mean, including, I remember like hearing stories about his first camp with Washington. Mitch Korn was the goalie coach. Mitch freaking Korn. Mm. Send him back to Russia with some things to work on. He got back to Russia and said, I'm not doing this. Yeah. You know, like that's that, but sometimes it takes, it's Mark, Jacob Marks from here in Vancouver. He arrives here, happy to get out of Florida, and the first thing Rolly Melanson wants to do is change where he put, bring him back in the ice. And his first, by the end of the year, he's all over it. But his first instinct was, well, they wanted me. Why do they want to change me? Sometimes you have to sort of fail before you're willing to to listen to making changes in your game as a goalie. Well, yeah, and when a 26-year-old who's in a second stop, like it makes sense that you know, sometimes you would have kind of like a come to Jesus moment in that regard. And just for the record, like he grades out, like really, like I talked about it, like plus 1.1%, which is 13th. Uh, goals hit above expected is 102 which is 12th from the clear side analytics model. So, yep. you know, like he had success last year. Again, 12th, I'm guessing his raw save percentage would rank him much higher than that, which is where the ARB case will be made. But like 
These are really impressive numbers. Well, he was first, according to SportLogic, in their inner slot save percentage. And out of goalies who had 50, 40 or more games played, after him, it was Shesterkin, Sorokin, Allmark, Gorgiev, Vasilevsky. Some pretty good goalies that I think everyone would agree kind of belong in that tier. And I guess my question for you was, and, and we haven't necessarily like done a statistical study on this, but just the concept of something like a inner slot save percentage and sort of the projectability of that as an actual tool you have uh, in, in your pocket, whether it's from a technical perspective or sort of a reaction or physical ability, kind of what you do with that, right? Because I'm not, I don't think it's something that he necessarily excelled at previously. And when you have a 40 game sample like this, where a lot of his success is based on that, it's awesome because being good at stopping pucks from, from the inner slot is very valuable for your team. But I'm not sure what to do with that in terms of projecting it moving forward, especially for next season. Well, see, so two things. Like, I don't have inner slot because that's not how they do things at ClearSet Analytics. I actually prefer other contact mm. beyond location as a primary. Because yep. um, if it's, again, inner slot straight line, and I've, I've, I'm I've i there and I'm set and I'm square and I built my wall, you can pound that bloody thing off me all day. Right. And you know what? It might pop off my chest and pop right back to you, and you can pound at it again. And it's like Christian Lehner missing put back so he can pad his rebound stats, man. I am just pumping up numbers at this point. But if I look at the high danger chances on clear sight, you know, and I look at the names ahead of him, there's not many. Um, Yaroslav Halak, interestingly enough, is mm. one of them. Uh, Philip Gustafson is right there. Yeah. UC Saros just behind him. Corpusalo. Like these are, this is some pretty elite company. So Andre Vasilevsky sort of in the top 10. So um, yeah, there's some signs there that on the most dangerous chances, you know, he's, he's a good goalie. He's a good goalie, and he's and and that ties into the system and how they play. You know, sometimes we look just at the high danger stuff, uh, and we don't account necessarily enough for those are the saves that help you that lift the bench. Yes, uh, and the ones we typically remember, right? But the ones that hurt you, the low danger yes. ones, can be pretty demoralizing. Eightieth in the National Hockey League, below expected. So again, where do you find that balance? Hey, he's really great on these tough ones, but if he's given up a groaner. What is that, you know, on a semi-regular basis, is that problematic? And that's where I think you need to look at more of the whole picture. You can isolate certain stats and be like, he's great. And if you do that, whether it's the inner slot stat uh, or, say, slot line place uh, on clear site, if you isolate them and then be like, and I'll, I'll go one degree. I'll give you the Aiden Hill one because I remember if we discussed this after they won the cup. Aiden Hill's overall numbers on slot line plays that go across the ice were slightly below expected. Vegas was 13th in the playoffs, so 13 out of 16 in terms of the number of slot line plays they gave up. And you'd be like, how the hell did that happen? Aiden Hill must have stood on his head. Like, how did he overcome this deficiency? High slot line, low slot line. Yeah, below and above the hash marks. One of the best goalies in tight on, on low slot line plays, which would probably coordinate with inner slot where that puck ends up. And he was exceptional at that. That's where they gave up. What they didn't give up was plays higher in the zone that put him in more of a reactive mode where he couldn't just use those big long limbs and his size and they were one of the best teams at not giving up high slot line plays and if you break down his slot line plays that's his weakness so again find that relative strength and weakness and make sure you're defending as much as you can because it's not a perfect game to your goalie strengths and so but again you have to look at the flip side like great on high danger but 87 percent of the game yeah. where your goalie gives up a low danger chance unless the other guy reciprocates you lose him okay Kevin let's end on this we got two minutes so I'm, I, I gotta limit you to this rack on the right rapid fire speaking of that show we did last year at this time we talked about goalies that had uh, eyebrow raising numbers in smaller samples that we were intrigued to see in uh, either a different environment or in a situation where they were stepping into a higher workload just to see how that transferred and whether they could be kind of a however you want to frame it, whether it's a breakout or a sleeper candidate or someone to keep an eye on. We talked about Charlie Lindgren and I believe Eric Comrie last year in this regard. I'll give you the floor here. Do you have anyone that's popping on that model or what you've seen or you heard people talk about uh, in the goalie community that you're watching for next season? Well, I'll give you an underrated guy because as much as we just focused on Sorokin, bringing back Marlamoff was a good part of that equation for the Islanders because okay. he gets underrated for the success he had in New York. Give me a young, give me a younger guy, someone who's who's exciting, someone for people to sound smart when they're talking to their friends this summer when they're doing their fantasy draft and they're like, oh, you know what? That's like, the easy one's actually Joseph Wall. Mm. The thing that scares me is he has one of the highest in the games he did play because it's not a tiny sample, but it's not a big one. 
And in the games he did play, the numbers, the adjusted numbers are great. But in the games he did play, he had one of the highest expected save percentages. So sometimes with a new goalie, team buckles down in front of him and you don't, you know, you don't quite get the full flavor there. So I, I worry a little bit about that noise. Um, but he's been really good. I'll give you another one who, and this is easy. Actually, this is this does count because I'm pretty sure nobody else is thinking of him in part because of the team he plays for. But I actually identified him last year and actually identified him with a writer in Arizona as a, as, as a guy that the Coyotes should target. And Connor Ingram after mm-hmm. December 1st last year, when he started to play a little more, when he got comfortable with the new team, Corey Schwab was an exceptional goalie coach, made, made some changes in his some of his movement stuff that really emphasized his strengths. Connor Ingram was really good in the second half last year, and I don't think anybody notices because it's with the Arizona Coyotes. Well, and they quietly brought him back 1.95 for three years, snuck under the radar, still just 26 years old. He had, I remember watching, I watched this game for some reason, it was like the only game on that night, a 47-save shutout against Tampa Bay at home. There was just a scintillating performance. And uh, you're right, like 907 in 27 games last year. I think Sport Logic had him as a as a net positive goal save by the expected goalie. And they've got him and Vimelka, who I like quite a bit, as I think they're going to get above average goaltending for 82 games for under 5 million between them. So, And you, the problem is you're not going to see Connor Ingram a ton. Although, again, when they gave him a chance to play more, because he hadn't been a backup. Like, he, you know, he kind of quietly in the American Hockey League had played a lot. And he, he actually discussed this with me this week. Like, he went to the goalie coach and was like, like, I don't know how to do this anymore, how to not play. Like, I need to figure this out. Yeah. And they started playing him more, and he was great. They give you another name who falls under the same category, who I would have been all over at the trade deadline to the same degree as Jonas Corposal if I was a team, but they re-upped him for another year. So I don't know if we're going to get to see enough for everyone else to realize, but do not sleep on Kevin Lankinen and the changes he made yep. in his first season with the National Predators. He was a great signing. Goalie coach there, Ben Vanderklok, has added a little bit of backwards flow in certain situations that really seems to accentuate his strengths. And again, statistically in a very small sample because there's some guy named Soros there, he was exceptional. So yeah. the underlying numbers... Whether these would translate if you were to, you know, acquire him and make him part of a bigger role, I can't say. But in the minutes he was playing, he was really damn good. Kevin, we got to get out of here. Thank you for coming on this season. Looking forward to having you on as a regular again next year. That's going to be it for us this season. We're going to take some time off here until September. This is the final show of the 2023 season here on the PDO cast. I just wanted to, before we leave, quickly thank everyone listening to us all year we took a massive leap with this show going to a daily format and being on radio here on sportsnet 650 and it was a blast and it was 100 percent worth it and a big reason for it is because our listeners listen every day engage with us sent in thoughtful questions gave honest feedback uh just supported us every step of the way so thank you none of it is possible without you and i hope you all enjoy your summer and we're going to see you back here in september with more of the hockey pdo cast on the sportsnet radio network